Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to have you here. Uh, I'm with Kat Gordon, and she's the founder of the 3% Movement. And among her many accolades, she has received the Wall Street Journal's Marketers That Matter Award. She was named one of the most creative women in advertising by Business Insider, and she was featured prominently in Adweek's Disruptors issue. She's truly changing the world for the better. Kat, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Mm, thank you. You've done a lot of stuff. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I, I actually had to cut it down because the accolade list would have been the Aww. entire length of the show. It's nice when you you know keep keep at something and slowly you're like oh look at that people are noticing it's amazing so you're here for the sixth annual three mm-hmm. percent I can't believe it's been six already I know because you spoke at one of the earlier ones I know I was just thinking we've come a long way from a hotel lobby in Santa Monica when you said hey I have this idea I'm working on wow yeah that was six years ago was it yeah so but this year's conference here in New York uh, is beyond gender is the theme, right? Yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit about what's going to happen. So we realized that a lot of companies were prioritizing um, equality for women and leaving other forms of diversity behind. Mm. And that, you know, the hot word is intersectionality, which I hate because it doesn't, sounds like a mathematical term, but basically what it means is- like a freeway term. (laughs) That's so LA of you to say that. Um, But what we realized was that if you are just making the world better for white women Mm. and leaving behind women of color, older creatives, um, people with any kind of disability, it's it's an all or nothing crusade. Mm. You know, diversity is in all of its facets is needed. So we decided, okay, let's kind of invite the conversation to become more dimensional. And half of our speakers are people of color. We're talking about all sorts of things. We're even talking about like depression, which has a high correlation with creativity and how people hide portions of themselves covering at work hmm. and what it means to create a work environment where people really do feel they don't have to hide anything. In fact, they'll feel it will be celebrated however they're different or unique. Hmm. Well, let's, this is pretty fascinating because you started very focused. I mean, 3%, maybe for those who don't know, why the number 3%? Maybe explain that a little bit. So it was a number that represented how many creative directors were women. So out of 100%, only 3% were women. And for people that don't work in advertising, I use the example, that's the Don Draper job. You know, it's the person who's the rainmaker at the top on the creative side. And so I started this conference because I I was part of that 3%. And I also knew a lot about buying um, and consumer trends. And it was lunacy that women were being left out. And again, people of color. And so I just was craving a conversation, so I organized one. And I had no idea it would explode into what it is now. All right, good. We're going to get into more of that. Now, and just in terms of the numbers, I had heard, I don't know if this was last year, two years ago, that the industry was actually up to 11%. Is that urban legend or <laughs> truth? Or No, I'm glad you're raising this because we're going to be talking about this at the conference. All of these numbers, the 3% number, the 11.5% number, Mm. were based on a dissertation that a graduate student did 
about looking at communication arts advertising annuals and then tracking the gender of the creative directors because there was no other mechanism in place wow. to know. So we've been saying since the very beginning, we need a better ruler. Like that's just not a great metric. Um, right. So we're going to be announcing some research we did this past year on Friday at the conference. Basically, we did a benchmarking study. Every major holding company was involved. And we have some encouraging news to report, okay. which I can't say yet, but it's we're trending in the right direction. Very good. So it's not just, uh, I guess, complaining about the issue. I mean, it's actually making something happen, which I think for a lot of people, um, you know, when they see something as enormous as this, that 97 percent is the mountain to climb or the monster to slay, the fact that you're actually slaying the monster is impressive. Thanks. I I mean, why do you think that happened? Like, you know. Um, I really think social media, I always say, was the missing accelerant hmm. previous to when we started because there people have been talking about this for decades, but there was no mechanism to kind of mobilize people around this. And so I literally launched the conference with a single tweet um, and announced it through Twitter and grew a body of kindred spirits that had noticed this issue and wanted to get involved. So I think the world was just ready to have right. this conversation and we were ready to amplify it through all those channels. You know, you mentioned Don Draper. I wonder if Mad Men, you know, because Mad Men was sort of, you know, uh, reaching its uh, pinnacle at the time. I wonder if maybe that exposed a little bit, you know, the Peggies of the world. I absolutely think so. And also, six months after our first conference, Lean In came out. Mm. So it was kind of a perfect storm of people had a context for advertising. And when I would tell them that Mad Men really wasn't the time capsule that they assumed that a lot of that was still in place. Uh, they became intrigued, even people outside of our industry, and then lean in. You know, Sheryl Sandberg kind of questioning the whole work culture and how friendly it is to women. So just And then again, social media. It was like right. the trifecta of everything was primed for this to have fast traction. And then uh, maybe talk a little bit about what were the issues that you were seeing? Like I know that uh, you'd mentioned that there was – kind of lack of motherhood support or female mentorship. I mean, as you were a creative director, like what were you seeing that were some of the the key issues that were still played with today? Right. Uh, Well, motherhood is the ultimate exit ramp for women in Mm. advertising. And uh, we did some research where women in advertising, especially on the creative side, dramatically under-indexed for motherhood compared to their peer set, just demographically, Mm. educationally. So it's, you know, you know, it's a hard job. There's not a lot of predictability in your hours. And so women would cry uncle and bow out. I myself left the last full-time agency job I had at Hal Reine. I left and started freelancing. And I was lucky that I kept myself in the game through freelancing while I raised my kids. But a lot of women just they give up because they don't feel there's a way through. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember ever seeing anyone pregnant at either of the agencies I worked at in San Francisco before I went freelance. So I just didn't have that whole, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So there's that. Um, I think there's also these subtle, and we were talking a lot lately about bias and unconscious Mm. bias. I mean, even Don Draper, if you think about the, the word genius, I mean, if you Google the word genius, it's almost always associated with a man. Mm. Um, even the the man, the myth, the legend, you know, there's no female right. equivalent to that. And so if you think about that creative leader and how we've kind of mm. mythologized him, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like a woman or we don't think it does. Mm. So we just tend to kind of gravitate towards something that we think looks like leadership. Mm. And so women don't benefit from that. We're changing that. You know, part a huge part of our 
crusade is visibility for the women that are slaying it. And it's an amazing time right now to right. be a woman, especially in creative leadership. And so we are encouraging op-ed pieces, them to be jury chairs, mm-hmm. um, them to be involved in new business pitches. Like one of the things we're learning is that agencies value rainmakers, people that bring in money. Mm-hmm. And if women aren't involved, invited into pitches, especially high-profile pitches, they don't have that kind of association with, oh, this person is a valuable asset right. to this agency. So it's all, all these little death by thousand paper cuts. Right. Well, there are two things I think we should unpack. One is it, I think this uh, observation that there was no um, mythologizing of uh, of strong women because if you think about the business, you know, in the specific of advertising, you know, Phyllis Robinson yep. and Mary Wells, uh, I mean, those two come to mind uh, immediately. Um, I know that uh, in you know, in just in my career, you know, there was a woman named Roz Green. She was like my creative director. Like that's you know the person I was learning from uh, when I got into the business. Uh, there was another woman at the Shy Day, Jamie Seltzer. I mean, uh, Helene Spivak. I mean, if I start to, you know, think a little bit, they're, they're out there. But I think you're right. The um, sort of the myth-making didn't quite happen that way. Yeah. Know? Mary Wells, maybe a little bit. But even the fact that you can name them on one hand, and if you look at the Advertising Hall of Fame, mm. I think there are only 16 women in the Advertising Hall of Fame. So, um, But it's true. I mean, I've heard Susan Cradle talk about how she actually chose advertising because she was aware of those women. Right. So it's kind of not – it's a weird phenomenon because in some ways it's – where are all the women? And in some ways, it's like, here are all the women. Right. Um, but it's what do we do with the women that are are there and are, you know, coming up with amazing ideas and are somewhat revered? Do they? I mean, here's a great example. I was watching that. Do you watch Chef's Table on Netflix? No. It's a great new series from Netflix where they, you know, basically profile a very high level chef all over the globe. Very good, high production value show. And I watched it last week and there was a female chef from San Francisco mm-hmm. who I've actually met before. Her name is Dominique Crenn. And she's French by birth and now lives in San Francisco. She has two Michelin stars. And as part of the show, the reporter asked her, you named your restaurant after yourself. Why did you do that? And I thought, would they ever ask a man that question? Right, like blonde, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of, and so I tweeted it, I, you know, what had happened. And the first person to like it was Dominique Crenn. I tagged her, you know. So I think there's something similar in advertising where, you know, all those women you mentioned, how many of them had their name on the door? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I like that. I think uh, DDB did, um, I think for International Women's Day, they put the uh, uh, Phyllis Robinson's name on there, DDBR or something. Yeah. Um, maybe they could have started our DDB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> maybe that, that, that's, uh, that, that's for uh, for this year. Well, interesting. So, and then something else I read that I thought was powerful was you did some research and you found an economic multiplier, a D plus C equals P. Does that sound familiar to you? Are you talking about um, profitability? <laughs> yes. And diversity driving profitability. Yes. Yes. So our tagline is diversity plus creativity equals profitability. And actually, a, a new dimension for us, something we really want to pursue in the coming years, is quantifying that. Mm. Um, so if you have followed what, for instance, Hewlett Packard is doing, they've asked all of their agencies, of which BBDO mm. is one, um, 
to report back the metrics of diversity of people working on HP's account. And they have multiple agency partners, so they're all reporting back. And they had an amazing yep. you know, event during Advertising Week where Antonio Lucio mm-hmm. had them reporting back. And so we're really curious about working with brands like that to say, okay, now that you've got more people of color servicing your business, more women, uh, what are you seeing? Are the cash registers, you know, ringing? Uh, But there's also things, interesting things like um, the One Club. If Mm -hmm. you look at their award annual, uh, and some students from Miami Ad School did, and what they found was that women were absent from a lot of the creative teams that were winning work. Mm. But the higher the pencil, the more prestigious the award, the more likely it was a gender equal team. That's interesting. interesting? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just thinking as I was walking over here that um, the creative work, I talked about this with um, Shingy. He was on the show, David Shing. Um, the creative work at Can overall seemed like at a level higher. It, it was almost unanimous. Everybody I talked to, that just the work just seemed better. And when I thought about this in connection with you, I knew that there were many, there was much more effort to have uh, equal juries. Yes. Uh, and uh, more uh, female jury presidents. So maybe uh, that begins to show some evidence that you know diversity even helps curate better shows. And it's yes. not all, you know, dude stuff. Yeah, one flavor. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I would also hope, I mean, this... This is a cycle where one thing begets more of the mm-hmm. same. And so if you have more women that are serving as jury chairs or on the juries themselves, somehow I just feel like the work that's being entered is also going to be more gender equal. And part of the new certification program we launched where we go inside agencies and assess them, one of the things we assess is the work they're submitting to mm-hmm. award shows and how present women are in that work. Because if you Again, that whole bias thing. Right. If you tend to think, oh, this is what a hotshot team looks like. This is what a can award-winning mm-hmm. team looks like. It almost conditions what you're going to enter, and then it's the self-perpetuating right. cycle. Interesting. Yeah, I think that um, I think I think you're really onto something with um, uh, the economic piece of it. And I and uh, I'd read somewhere that it, it was a very common sense. Observation, but I think it's one that uh, doesn't. Not everybody sees is that the buyers are predominantly women. I think there was some fact that there was only three significant purchases that were men, but this, the other significant purchases and everything else was women. So the audience is female, and why why right. people didn't put that together? Because you know everybody's greedy. <laughs> no, exactly, and that. <laughs> You know, when I started this and kind of I'm a copywriter by trade and so I did a messaging platform around this and that was exactly the point of entry was women are dominating almost every consumer category and now that social media is a mechanism, they're also dominating that. So they're the ones amplifying brand messages. So why wouldn't you want women involved in the ideas that are supposed to inspire them? Right, right. So um, before we get into your journey though, two things to talk about. One is... um, so you started, it used to be the 3% conference, it's become the 3% movement. Yeah. What other things are you doing besides the conference? So the largest thing we're doing is certification. Mm. Um, so I mentioned we did an industry-wide benchmarking study, and that became kind of the informing data for what does leadership look like right now around diversity and inclus- inclusivity. Mm. So agencies are now hiring us to come in. It's a very deep dive and a very robust inquiry around their programs, their policies. We survey all their employees. Um, 
it's it's quite extensive wow. to look for who are the agencies that are actually activating around these important measures and creating cultures where people feel welcome. And we'll be announcing the first agencies that have cleared that bar on Friday. Wow. So that's the largest thing we're doing. big news on Friday. I, I can't <laughs> even tell you, Rob. Like normally before the conference, I am like, okay, you know, are all the speakers prepared? Cater is done. This year, there's so much more dimensionality to what we're doing. Not only are we announcing, you know, the first certified mm. agencies, not only are we announcing our benchmarking results. I spoke to the New York Times yesterday about it. I mean, it's a big deal. But we Disruptor all- Series podcast. <laughs> I mean, you totally. are on some major platforms. It's true. And we're also announcing we have a brand new partnership with the Athena Film Festival here oh, in New cool. York City. Um, we created, they approached us and said, why is advertising not reflected in the same way? So the advertising, the Athena advertising, Award is a brand new thing. Um, the work is stunning. We're going to be showing the award winners there. So there's just a lot more we're doing that has that is not just programming in right. a in a venue. Right. So you've got the events, and what else do you do in terms of um, and the certification, which sounds robust and I think powerful, especially if uh, brands start to go, "Oh, are you three percent certified?" Exactly right. I think that's really good. Uh, mentorship community? What other stuff are you doing? So we have um, a group called Creativity and Color. Um, that's another focus for us. Again, back to intersectionality. Mm-hmm. A woman who is an African-American woman who's a copywriter or creative director, she has different challenges and kind of more hills to climb. Right, right. And so we really want to understand how to how to serve and protect and highlight that community. So we've got that. Um, We just have an enormous social community that's churning all year long. I think we're up to like 35,000 people Mm -hmm. in our community, very active on all the social channels. Um, We have a student scholarship, which has a mentorship component. Um, Are you doing anything for students? Like my daughter's graduating from college. Like is, is there something for her? Well, we do have a scholarship while she's still in school. Um, so there are 10 student scholars that won a creative competition. We've been doing this mm. for years. Adobe underwrites it. Oh, and so uh, the th- you, Boston University actually seems to really, I mean, Edward Bochis, you know, his students, they are really talented. So a lot of them tend to win Creative Circle, oh, cool. Miami Ad School. Um, students themselves, it's interesting you asked about that because one of the things we're aware is an issue is educating the educators. So the people that are teaching advertising, a lot of them have been out of the industry so long that they actually aren't aware that their young women or their you know young creatives of color are highly desired today. Like right. could be the ultimate superstars, and it's it's awful. We hear that certain young women are encouraged to go into account management instead mm. by their teachers because you'll never be a creative director. And that just makes my blood boil because yeah, – but they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. So one of the things we're doing this year, another new thing, is we're developing something called Conference in a Box where all of the content um, from the conference is queued up with discussion guides. And we want to make that available for free to all of the um, advertising yeah. programs so that they can do kind of that flipped classroom approach. You know, watch this segment from the conference. We're going to discuss it. And I really want to make sure that anyone who's a student today is encouraged, especially women. Like, this is the time to write your own ticket. Oh, without question. Yeah. Without question. And then, so I was uh, an inaugural Manbassador. So uh, thank you for that. Um, So what's going on for Manbassadors? 
we have a track for men at the conference. So the structure is a little different than when I think you were featured um, at a two-day conference. And on the first day, the lion's share of the day is spent in a themed track that you pre-select. Mm. Five hours of programming specific to your role. And so there are four tracks, and one of them is ambassadors. Um, and that's that's a great example of bringing men together and giving them very specific examples of how they could be supporting women. A lot of it is around mentorship. Right. Um, so, yeah, we're, yeah good. we need our men. I was thinking, good, I'm glad we can still do something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was, I was actually thinking, you know, about uh, what you're up to. It seems like you have a growth opportunity in Hollywood. I mean, is this something, would you, would you, I mean, it seems like you're very focused on advertising. Maybe I'm, I'm not seeing the breadth of it, but it seems like Hollywood can now use a little 3% magic. I, I almost feel every industry you can think about, mm. there's a 3% number, you know, whether it's government or law or um, tech. I mean, if you look at the sponsors of our movement, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Adobe, HP, you know, they they have as same hell different drapes. And I live in Silicon Valley, so I see it firsthand. So. In a way, I think the diversity equals creativity equals profitability. What company doesn't mm. want to think it has innovation at its core? So, yes, the genesis is advertising. And there are certain things that are taught or shared at the conference that are advertising-centric. But any industry where women are stalled mm. could benefit from what we're doing. It's kind of a, a women's suffrage 2.0. Wow. I mean, not that it's voting, but when you think about you know, what you – up against but what you're doing I mean yeah it's cool it's it's been I mean I had no idea that I was throwing a match into a kerosene tank I just wanted to have a conversation so here you are this nice gal from uh, Scarsdale uh, <laughs> how did this happen and I, I read something that you were on a I, I call it your sob story your SAAB sob yeah. the car brand yeah that was the kind of the the the, the the point where you went, oh, my God, I can't take this anymore. You want to tell us about that? Um, sure. So that was when I was working at Hal Reine, and um, we were pitching the Saab car account. And I actually was not on part of the pitch team. There was only one woman on the pitch team and 16 men. Hmm. And they took headshots of everyone for the leave behind and had them taped up in the creative department as kind of like a rally cry. And I had to walk past that wall of faces every day on my way to the elevator, the ladies' room. And it was one of those emperor's new clothes moments where I was like, am I the only one seeing this pattern? And how can my boss, the creative director that took these headshots and put them up, have handle that many pieces of photography with tape and whatever and not see I mean that's what creative directors are trained to see patterns and so I just remember thinking holy shit am I the only person seeing this and I was probably 30 how old was I when I worked there maybe 31 30 and now I would have you know, blown the whistle immediately and been like, what the hell, you guys? Um, they didn't win the business. Um, there seemed to be no sense of connecting those two dots. Right. Um, but my shame, the sob of my sob story, is that I didn't speak up until I started this conference. Mm. But you know how there's certain things in your psyche that haven't fully metabolized? Yeah. I think that was an open loop in my head for a very long time. I was like, that was so messed up. And I never spoke about it. Mm. And so it feels really good to talk about it now. I wish I had spoken about it sooner. 
Well, well, you're making your impact, that's for sure. So, uh, Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, – when you think now, sometimes you see these photos, of, oh, we hired all these you know, new creatives, and you see it's just a sea of guys. How could you not go, wow, you're – like you're missing, like you're really missing it. But I don't think back in the 90s that anybody was thinking that. Yeah. And I also, you know, I guess if we're going to connect some dots, it kind of goes back to what was around in culture. You know, the Beatles were four guys. You know, uh, Nirvana yeah. was three guys. When you start to think about it, I mean, just jumping to music for a second, what are we lionizing? You know, and like we, if you stay with music, okay, well, it was kind of cool that Chrissy Hine led the Pretenders but that was the anomaly. That wasn't right. the the pattern. Yeah. And uh, as Steve Jobs once said, you know, when you see the patterns, that's how you succeed in life. Right. So, exactly. So you saw it. So, but so maybe step back even further. So, did you go to Scarsdale High? Yep. You were a Scarsdale Raider. How did you know that? Because I'm a New Yorker. Wow. Yes, yeah. I was. I was a uh, on the gymnastics team. All right. And uh, then then what'd you do? I went to college. I went yeah. to Gettysburg College, hmm. small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. I major, double majored in French and English. I studied in Paris. Um, always had a love of language. Um, always loved to write. And then I graduated and moved to my parents' house in Scarsdale. And <laughs> like yeah. a true English major. <laughs> yes, exactly. A poor girl. And took the Metro North in every day to my job. I worked at USA Today newspaper oh, yeah? in the ad sales department. I had no idea. Like these kids nowadays that are like, I'm a such and such major and I'm going to do this. And I interned here. Right. I really was part of that generation maybe where I just followed what I loved and didn't stress too much about where I'd land. And then I found my way. Mm. I didn't know much about advertising. um, And I remember the first time I realized what creatives were doing Mm. and that there was a writing component to that. That was a huge label. Did you want to go to SVA or did you? I took night classes at um, SVA. It's funny you mentioned them. Yeah, I I worked and at night went down and took copywriting classes and um, slowly built a spec book. And that's another thing I want to blow the whistle on is people assume you have to go to portfolio school, Mm -hmm. you know, for four years or however long it is. Who has, who has, the time and money yeah. for that. Um, so I would encourage anyone that's creative to seek out night school or even I'll bet there are online classes now. Oh, yeah. I, I, I One of the observations I've been making is that our generation, we were waiting to be discovered. Someone was going to discover us. Hmm. But I think this generation, like, they can make it happen. Yeah. Like, I tell my daughter all the time, you want to do something, show that you can do it. And right. then... Find the person who will appreciate that. Don't be a schmuck like me and wait for someone to go, oh, yeah, you're pretty good. Yeah, that's a good point. And again, technology, you know, how even just the way her ideas can probably look so much more polished and she can even electronically get them to people. I mean, think about even LinkedIn. It used to be that you needed that harvard.edu email address, right? right? You don't need that anymore. I know. People added, People write to me all the time like, hey, I want to try this or that or, you know, talk to me about this or that. And, uh, you know, I talk to them, you know. Of course. So um, you never know. You never right? know. So how did you get out west? So I met a boy mm. who became my husband. Uh, he had grown up in Palo Alto. And was living here in Manhattan. We met through a charity event. And he got transferred back to the West Coast. And I followed him. That's how I got there. Uh, that's uh, it's good. A, a love story to add to your sob story. <laughs> 
And uh, so then, so it seems like when you uh, had your Henry, we both have Henrys. Yes. That's when uh, you had to kind of move out of the day-to-day parts of our business. And maybe that gave you some perspective. I think it did. And if you think about where I live, mm. so the I, you know, was a full-time freelancer, even though I was a mom to two boys. But I... A lot of the clients I was servicing were startups. And I mean, I worked on the Tesla Motors. I wrote their first website. I interviewed all of their engineers as the cars were being built at the very inception of the company. And then I also worked for, you know, Hawaiian Airlines and Target. And I got so much exposure to so many more brands and Mm. ideas than I would have if I'd been on, like, Previous to that, my last agency job, I had been on the Microsoft account for two years, two solid years of living and breathing Microsoft. Right. When you're a freelancer, oh, man, the rooms you sit in and the creative problems you get exposed to and all the different client types, I think that was really good for my kind of agility, my creative agility. Yeah, I think uh, that that's. I think the gig economy is real in our business now. And I think you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of good people still in agencies, but a lot more good people outside. Yeah. And don't want to deal with the day-to-day politics of a, of a, of a business. It's true. Yeah. I will say, and I don't know if this is changing, but the thing I feel I sacrificed in that exchange was you rarely get put on the big, juicy, delicious assignment mm. as a freelancer. They save that as they should for their full-timers. And so I won a couple industry awards as a freelancer, but nowhere near as many as I would have won if I had stayed. And I mean, I, I've never produced a TV spot. Mm. I've written TV for pitches, but so as a freelancer and trying to raise my kids, I I made good money. I I enjoyed my life, but I never felt like, oh, my God, maybe the Tesla Motors was probably the most juicy thing I worked on as a freelancer. So let's see, win a can lion or change the world. Hmm, What would you want to do more? (laughs) Thanks for saying that, (laughs) because there are times where when I start to go down that dark alleyway in my own mind of like, oh, what could I have done? I'm like, but I'm making a different contribution. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at this thing you've built. I mean, it's gone literally from something that was annoying you into a true movement. And the word movement is thrown around a lot in our business, but look look, look at this thing. I know. Now, in terms of economics, is this a for-profit, not-for-profit? I mean, how do you we're, keep this thing running? <laughs> Thank you for asking about the money part. Uh, we're a for-profit. Um, we have a team of seven people. We're a distributed team. Two of us are full-time. And people that sponsor the conference, and we have very strong sponsor mm. support, they're really keeping our lights on year-round. They help us do our proprietary research. They help us. Um, we have a business blog. Uh, so it's really funding everything that we do. And it's really gratifying to be making money, the same kind of money I would have made if I ran in my own agency, but making change. Yeah. Yeah. Change is your product, which is incredible. And I think uh, you have uh, an agency and your client is the human race. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. And there are times where I think about it that way because people will say to me, oh, do you miss making the work? And I'm like, I'm still making the work. Yeah, I'm just making it for I'm both client and creative. Um, and I have real clarity for what our it's, it's very rare that I'm flummoxed by what we should say or how we should say it or where we should play. It, it's very obvious to me by because we meet so many agencies and they share with mm. us where they're falling down. And so I, you know, I'm a dot connector. And so I'm like, you know, what's missing? I mean, certification is the perfect example. I wasn't like, let's build a certification program. That was my master plan. <laughs> it was so many of these agencies that would invite us in. They would say, 
we have no idea how we're doing. We have no idea what the where we should try to play or how others are doing competitively. Uh, and then we had talent saying to us, where should I want to work? And then as you pointed out, we had brands calling us and saying, who should we invite right. to our pitch? Finally, I was like, man, there needs to be some way for agencies to demonstrate leadership on these important things. And there wasn't. And so we created it. And how about you just as a person? I mean, how has this transformed you? I mean, here you are now. You walk into a room. You're a rock star. You've mm. got amazing presence, people, you know, hanging on your every word. I mean, was that person there? I mean, how has this transformed, you know, you, Kat, personally? Yeah, that's probably the most interesting question, and I appreciate it because it, it has been a transformation. I, at my heart, am quite shy and more of an introvert. Mm. And it definitely has pushed me out of my comfort zone in countless ways. And it's very strange. In a way, the gift of that is that when I now go into social settings where in the past I would have dread, like people recognize me and they want to talk with me. And it's I love that bridge to, into conversation with people, that easy bridge. But it is weird to have people kind of idolize you because... I guess my message is anyone can be a CAC coordinator. In fact, I said that very recently during a certification presentation where we were talking about were they helping their female creatives develop their confidence and their presentation mm. skills. And I shared that I had been painfully shy and had gone to a Dale Carnegie public speaking class and that that was life-changing for me. And the CCO of that agency said, you present very strong. And I said to him, Every single woman on your bench could be a cat Gordon. You just have to give them those low stakes opportunities to mm. put themselves out there. But it's it is a very strange thing. I mean, I shared with you when I got here today that we rang the closing bell on Wall Street yesterday. I rang the closing bell on I Wall love Street. That. And it's one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, like how did I wasn't this uber ambitious, but I think I was someone that was always paying attention. Yeah. I, I'm a highly observant person, yeah. and I also have a real keen sense of justice, and I think those two things just collided. And uh, I don't know if you've been asked this, but would you run for office? Is this, are you, <laughs> I mean, it seems like you can mobilize people. You're, uh, you know, doing amazing things, uh, and we need great leaders. Did you ever think about, I don't know. Something else. Uh, you know, I have a neighbor in Palo Alto who's very involved in politics, and she and I walk sometimes in the morning for, and we talk, and she's all about getting more women running for office. And I've thought about it, and I wouldn't rule it out, but it's funny for me to think if that ever were to happen because when I look back at my report cards from elementary school and whatever <laughs> – I hated history class. I, that was the class that I could barely tolerate. Politics never interested me. So I, it's almost like I'll have to re, I would have to rewrite it in my mind what that role is. Yep. You know, it's a galvanizer of people instead of a paper pusher. Or, oh, no, it's about change. And it's, yeah. about, it's about all the things you're doing. Yeah, it's true. Know? I do feel that there's something in front of me that I haven't put my fingers on yet. And with 3%, there was just such an inevitability. Like once I started thinking about it, I remember saying to my husband, I can't not do this. That's how it mm. felt. It was just, even if we're going to lose money, even if I'm going to fail, I, I can't not do this. And for a shy person to get to that place is is amazing. Yeah, listen, I think, uh, you know, they say real movement in politics is local and there may be something you can do. Yeah. Look, not that I'm, you know, I think you're doing a great job here. Thank but, you. But, uh, in a world that is really bereft of great leadership, um, and you see a great leader, you know, yeah. you have my vote. So, 
Thank you. I think that'll be good. So at this point in the program, we ask for a piece of advice. So we have we have some young people who listen, just get into the business. We have some uh, a lot of clients who listen. We have people all over the world who listen. I mean, what's what's one piece of advice maybe for somebody who I'll maybe put it into context of of where you were who sees something, who's connected two dots that maybe uh, they're afraid yeah. to say something. Let's go back to you. At Hal Reini, you're 31, you see something. What's a piece of advice for them? What can they do? First of all, I want to say that fear, I now recognize, is an indicator that you should move forward. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm afraid, so therefore shut down, go back into my little rabbit hole. And I had tremendous fear before the first conference. Tremendous. Mm. I would wake up at 3 a.m. with, you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing in my head. And I guess my advice is walk into the fear, walk towards the fear. That's an indicator that you're supposed to move forward. And once you survive that very first experience of just raw, you know, exposure, it gets so much easier. (laughs) And so it's so worth it to tolerate that discomfort. Walk into the fear. (laughs) <laughs> That's really good. That could be the title of your of your book. You can write, are you write a book? <laughs> I am not writing a book. Really? You know, everyone asks me that. Like, have you written a book? You need to write a book. And I don't want to disparage because I have a lot of friends that have written books, but it looks so thankless. Yeah. So thankless. You don't need a book. You have a movement. Exactly. I kind of feel like there are other ways my message gets out. And the thought of like, you know, chaining myself to a laptop for a year and then having to do all that icky social media, like nudging of friends and (laughs) writing reviews, which I know is what you have to do. um, It doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Well, it's true. You don't need a book. You you literally have a movement. So that's what you got. Anyway, Kat, thank you so much. you're amazing. You really are. And so uh, I think, uh, no, you're, you're a hero to a lot of people. And um, I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you've been able to do. And I think you've made our world better. And you don't, hmm. you don't get to meet people a lot who actually make the world better. And I can actually send you an email and you'll write me back immediately. So Aww. I love that I, I could uh, talk to a game changer like you, a real disruptor. Um, so thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shiat Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiatny.tumblr.com. <laughs>